This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast. And I'm feeling fairly warm and jolly myself as I sit in a pub in Chiswick, reflecting on things that happened at the weekend. Some good things, some bad things, but I'm going to reflect on the good things at the moment now. We went to Portman Road, Ipswich Town, and we won there for the first time since 1955. I can't remember the last time we went there because I wasn't born in 1955. So for me, this is the first time we've ever beaten Ipswich. This is the first time ever, and I'm feeling really good. Brentford went down there and they did themselves proud, absolutely and totally wiped the floor with Ipswich. But we're going to come on to all that in a minute. I think what's more important is we're going to talk about all the things we're going to chat today because this is an absolutely action-packed show from the Pilot Pub in Chiswick, which I've not been here for a long time. This used to be a right dump of a hole, but now it is actually quite posh and quite nice. We're sitting there drinking beers. I've got me Montana Red. Laney's got his red. I know you've got your pride and the boys have got, you know, your, your Amstels and your Fullers and all sorts of stuff going on, but it's all going down well because we're going to have a right good drink up to the fact that we've got nine points in a week for the Mighty B. So look, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to look back at the Ipswich game. We're going to look at the tackle Alan judged by Hyam his leg. We've got an interview with Leeds um, B's X-Man Terry Evans and his view on Luke ha- uh, Hyam tackle. We've also got um, referee. Colin, Colin Downey. Yeah, Colin Downey referee. He actually linoed the uh, Man United versus Brighton. Well, a while back, but FA Cup final, which means that he, well, he's an official, proper official. So we're going to talk to him. He had a look at the, uh, the, 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 the tackle. He's going to give us his view. Uh, we're going to have a little peep at the Brentford annual accounts, see what kind of position we're in, how much Matthew Benham's in a hole. And also, we've also had a peep at the CPO, seeing how we're getting with Lionel Road and what money's been flying around and what shenanigans has gone down there we've been done a bit of digging um, people will be telling us where they've been listening to the podcast after Mick and his cleanliness and his, uh, and his loofah he had his loofah you know and he's cleaning himself so people have been telling us about that so we might tell people about that as well we've also been discussing the scouting set up at Brentford we're discussing the scouting set up at Brentford which is uh, we're giving the full rundown the new scouts that are coming in so we'll talk about that we're going to have a big general discussion about Brentford with the boys around the pub here because look 
we're not getting relegated now, so it's time to look forward. There's some good things, there's some bad things, there's all sorts of stuff going on around the club, and we need to discuss these things around the table. We've also chatted with Andy Stockhausen from the Bristol Post, giving us the lows down on Bristol City. Oh, and maybe, if you're lucky, I might even talk to you about... Uh, I was at Scotland Yard the other day. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, anyway, we won't go into that one, but listen, I was at the Scotland Yard yesterday because we were talking about the Fulham game. There's me, Bias, a load of other people there, and the police were telling us how they're a bit nervous about the Fulham game. We might throw that into the pot. Anyway, there's a lot there we're going to be talking about. Look, let me introduce you to the characters around the table. I'm Billy Grant. I've still got that lurky lurking in there, but it ain't stopping me. I'm still having a few drinks, still watching the bees play, but to the left of me, Mr Dave Lane, how are you? I'm all right, mate. Um, might a relief that we've uh, clinched our third consecutive season in the championship, which, which was the stuff that dreams were made of pretty much all the way through the 80s and 90s when I've been sp um, sporting Brentford. Um, yeah, just a bit, sort of, the edge was taken off by Alan Judge, you know, he's, he's going to be our player of the year, it was just desperate to see him, you know, he was in agony the, the second that challenge was made, and see him trying to crawl up on the grass was just like, it was horrible to see, so just, you know, get well soon, Alan, and... Uh, um, you know, just I just want to see you in a Brentford shirt again soon, mate. OK, and we have got back with us again is that, that Dutch person who's been abroad, so he's, he's, not, he's missed all nine points, and uh, maybe we should say to him, maybe you should take a, a longer holiday, like for the rest of the season. Martin the Dutchman, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks very much. Um, yeah, cheers, everyone. Glad to be of service. Um, I went away in a, in a potential relegation scrap, come back looking, uh, <laughs> can we get into the playoffs? Uh, not quite, but we'll take mid-table um, safety. So, yeah, um, I think gone over days where I really got upset and cried about missing wins. I watched from afar and enjoyed very much uh, the success and glad to come back to a more settled camp. Indeed, and the, the camp is completely and utterly settled. And we've got Mr Liberal Nick, who is here, who I'm not quite sure where he stands at the moment now because things we have a settled camp. So, you know, Liberal Nick, who went a little bit less liberal than he was a few weeks ago, I think you've come back to a little bit more to the centre now, haven't you, Nick? Um, <coughs> gravitating towards there. I still have my reservations about some things. But what will the loyal listeners will be pleased tonight to know that uh, because I drove to Ipswich on Saturday, I'll have a much more informed comment about the game because I hadn't had three pints before it and four pints after it. So I can remember everything that took place on Saturday and can dissect it in great detail, which is more than Mick McCarthy was able to do sober standing on the touchline. Ooh, oh, liberal Nick. I don't like you when you're sober, mate. <laughs> listen, and listen, we always like to get a guest on. We've always put our arm out and reached out to people said, we're most welcome. You could come down and have a beer with us, talk about football. That's what it's all about. Brentford mates talking about football. And very, very happy to have on the podcast today, Mr. Paul Grimes. Paul Grimes, lifelong Brentford fan. Says what he, you know, it's written on his shirt and he says what exactly what it means, which is great. And this is what we want to hear in the, in the Pride of West London podcast. Paul, welcome to the pilot tonight, mate. How are you doing? I'm good, Bill. Thank you for uh, having me on. I appreciate uh, the invitation um, and to be heard. And uh, the last time I was in the pilot was probably around the time Brentford last won at Portman Road. So. Happy for both reasons. Yeah, that's right. And Paul, Paul, good day. That's well. right. And Paul, just tell us about this as well, because I mean, your background, you're a Lord Brentford fan as well. But you know, as you say, you you you, you say it as you see it as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not an apologist for anybody, and I don't believe anybody's above criticism. And and 
Um, I'm certainly not in the rose tinted brigade, and I'm not sitting on any fences. That's for sure. I don't get any splinters. Um, and I feel that even with all the good that Matthew Benham's done for us, there are times where if we feel as fans that he's made a mistake, we should voice those concerns and challenge him when he does so, or when we feel that he does so. He might disagree and. Uh, and he might argue that with us, discuss that with us, as he did with you guys on your interview, which I thought was fantastic. But I still think that there's an opportunity for fans to maybe push a bit harder, um, whether, you know, maybe rock the boat a little bit more um, than the normal forums would prefer to do, because they've got to operate with Brentford on a daily basis, season by season, and they want to have that understanding. I'm outside of that situation, so... I don't mind rocking the boat by asking the questions that nobody else is prepared to ask. Okay, well, that's good. But look, we're going to pull up onto that later, Paul, because we've got a big, big, big podcast now. But listen, Ipswich Town Saturday, Brentford beat them 3-1. Bash, bash, bish, bosh. End of story, Ipswich fans. There's a fire drill. Christ knows what time it was. But they were just crawling. They were just streaming out of that, that, that ground very, very early. Racing for their tractors. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. There was a whole tractor stream outside Portman Road on 75 minutes. But look... We're not going to talk about this game amongst ourselves because we don't need to. We're going to go back to Portman Road on Saturday and listen to what the fans had to say in the pubs after the game, both Ipswich and Brentford fans. Um, it was. Uh, I was disappointed in Ipswich Town. They thought they really were a pretty poor team. I guess that Mick McCarthy is probably not going to be around after this season if they're, they're not going to get rid of him at this stage of the season. Well, they're talking about him going to Aston Villa. The odds are dropped, apparently. Well, I feel very sorry for Aston Villa fans. I'm not certain they deserve that after the season they've had to have McCarthy Labs. Let's reflect on a very solid Brentford performance. And what's so encouraging is that we're, we are ending the season on a good run of form. Um, not much left to play for now. Let's see if Lasse can continue in his goal-scoring form and take us in. And the best of luck, as you said, uh, Billy, to Alan Judge. Yeah, I thought uh, we, we, we played really well. Um, especially first half I thought second half we got very sloppy towards the end McCormick tried a bit of techers didn't he lost the ball to them and uh, yeah. they scored but, but to be fair up until then I thought McCormick was really good I yes. thought he was he was the one that wanted to get the ball on the ground and we were, Ipswich were lumping it and we were lumping it back and stuff like that but as soon as he got to him he would first thing he did get it on the ground turn start playing it about and I'm just interested today because obviously we've had players got in that have been slagged off and you know judges Bay's been slagged off Kirch has been slagged off you know was there anyone that actually impressed you today from the Bees? Uh, yeah, somebody I normally slag off, and that's uh, Saunders. I thought Saunders had a great game. He's the best game he's had for us in a long time. I was very, very impressed. He was really up for it, played some good football as well, uh, sensible football, and I thought he was fantastic and scored a really nice goal. I w- I'll be honest, I'm going to do a Wenger. I didn't see that one. I was, I was looked away and everyone kind of thought, oh... That's a, that looked bad. So I didn't. Oh, the second one in the second half, we were just talking about the one on Varney. Actually, I thought was more of a strike. So what happened in the second half as well? That was um, a similar. Kind of the ball went away from him, and our striker sort of launched himself at your your. I don't know who it was, but it was yeah, Colin. Yeah, and it, yeah, off the ground, out of control. Kind of looked a bit of red as well. So, so you thought basically it should have been a straight red. So the referee did the old blind spot again. Yeah, potentially it could have been. Yeah, no, I think he maybe felt sympathetic towards us because at that point yeah it was nine minutes game over definitely and McCarthy yeah there's a lot of people sympathetic with McCarthy because we were in so much trouble when he came but you've seen the style of football today it's deteriorated from last season when we were competitive and winning games and not winning games now so it's it's dire but there's kids in the background we've got a good academy similar to Brentford and they're not getting a chance 
I just we don't trust the ownership to make the right choices. If McCarthy was to go to Villa or was to be sacked, who are we going to get in? You know, I just don't know. So there's no strategy off the pitch, and on it, it's not brilliant either. So honestly, I don't know. Hope for a you know, bit of a resurgence in the summer, chance to rebuild, but I don't trust anyone to get it right. What's the panic? Well, we the, the reason we panicked, and we did, I think we all, we're all guilty of it, uh, maybe you a little less than some, um, but the reason for the panic was that the team had no confidence and they, and they basically um, didn't look like they were going to score another goal. And, you, and, and I know we all go through periods like that, but I think we were, we, we were just nervous because I don't think any of us could see where it, where it was coming from. Um, and there's still an argument that says, you know, if um, Viva hadn't come on for Rodriguez by, by default at Nottingham Forest, that, that maybe things wouldn't have turned out the way because Weber has just been exceptional since he's come back from okay. the international break. So we're not going to talk about the Ipswich side of things, but there is certain things that you're happy about today, isn't there? And I quite enjoyed watching Brentford play a decent game of football. Good and, stuff. Really, and what, what was it that sort of kind of warmed your cockles? I like the passing. I like the endeavour. And I like the, the idea that at the end of the season, with nothing in it for either team, you kind of wanted it more. Right, are you the Ipswich tambourine man? That's right, that's right. But I'm sure a bit more like this. You're good like that. So mm. listen, you guys have lost 3-1 today, but you don't seem too happy, don't do sad at all, do you? No, not really. We used to. Shit happened. We'll be back. I've got to say about Lasse Vibe today and the last two games, he has been exceptional. And um, his third goal was like... Um, took the breath, breath away really he hit, flicked it with the outside of his foot curled it in the bottom of the far corner of the net it was clinical like really clinical so, so the question is he rubbish then is he not fit to beat place people with boots is he not good enough uh, well uh, he's a popular player you know he's, a lot of people sing his name you know Lassie, I know that I know a lot of people do knock that continental but I mean you Barbe Colin Vibe you know they they were exceptional they they've been exceptional in the last week you know they, they you know the recruit the recruiting um, has come under a lot of fire and, and not all of, not all of them have been 100 percent success not all of them have been a 20 percent success I think, the, but that's the, that's the way I, I have to say what I've seen in the last three three matches has really restored my faith and we are yeah we need to build yeah we do need players so all all is all is very positive so make my way back to West London now and have a couple more beers so cheer on the beat so that was what the fans had to say in the pub after the game I mean what a fickle bunch of freckers as they say are we are eh oh my faith is restored I mean after three games I mean lady what, what are you talking about mate I mean my faith it's like you know it's not some born again Christian well, uh, no, I, I think you know we, we've we've gone from a we've gone from a position where we couldn't see where the next goal was going to come from to to winning three games on the trot, and you know, the, I, you know the word jeopardy was real. You know, I, the, you know, we, we, it was clear we weren't going to lose every game for the rest of the season, and we weren't actually that relegation form bad, but. You just, you just, at one stage, you thought, well, how, how is this going to turn around? And you know, it, it, it turned around in the end with, um, with you know, with a substitution and and, and Vibe coming on at Nottingham Forest, and the, the, uh, uh, Vibe from that two weeks rest seems to have come back a different player. A lot of people were under a lot of a lot of spotlights. The microscopes were out on everyone. People, it was, it was, it was. 
um, directors of football being demonised. There was there was there was loads of shit flying around, and now it looks actually we're not in an awful position. We're not brilliant, but. We're, we're a long way from crap. OK, listen, look, I mean, I was just, I mean, I was just picking up on that lady, but we're going to come on to that later when we talk about Brentford more as a whole. At least I'm not an informer. informer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks a lot, lads. All right, no, listen, but look, what I will say is we're not going to talk about that Ipswich game. We'll talk about that later when we talk about Brentford because we're going to come on to the judgy scenario because that's a very important situation here. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people were saying it wasn't a foul. They didn't know if it was a foul or not. He got the ball. What we thought is that instead of us discussing it ourselves, let's go and talk to a couple of you know experts, people in the game who have been there and seen it and done it. One of these people is ex-Brentford player Terry Evans, proper hard man. He would have gone in there, flown in with the tackles to make sure that he got the ball, just like what happened on Saturday. So we thought, let's speak to Terry Evans to see exactly what Heath's views were on Hyam's tackle. This is what he had to say for himself. Alan Judge, leg broken. Hyam came through, got the ball, followed through, snapped his leg in, what I heard it was in two places. Really bad news. Lots of stuff going around on Twitter, online. Mick um, McCarthy coming out saying it wasn't a bad challenge. You know, um, Dean Smith saying it was a terrible challenge. Andy Scott even saying that the player knew what he was doing following through. We thought, listen, let's just talk to an ex-defender at Brentford, somebody who has played the game a lot, was considered a hard man in his time, and just see what his thoughts were on Hyam's tackle on Alan Judge. We're chatting here to Terry Evans. Terry, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. How are you? I'm not bad, not bad, mate. I know you're in the rugby world now, I hear. Rugby world at London Welsh doing wonders. You won a cup the other day, didn't you? Yeah, won the British and Irish Cup on, uh, on Sunday. Excellent, man. Congratulations to you. Well, you know, we've been swimming around in the championship, still trying to keep our head above water and do things. And like I said, last Saturday, Alan Judge broke his leg. Bit of a hardcore challenge by Hyam. It's interesting, just chatting to you. You saw the challenge yourself, and you've got your view on that. You, you thought it was just, you know, back in your days. This thing used to happen all the time. Is that right? Yeah, I've only seen the challenge. I've seen it in real time. I was in the hotel, funny enough, for the game on Sunday. And uh, before we played, and I, I just caught, caught a glimpse of it. And it, it's different, like one of those challenges that uh, you're going to go in for the ball. You know, you, 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 your primary your primary thing is to win the ball. And, you know, you, you follow through. I've done it loads of times. You, know, you see them challenges 10 or 20 times back in the day when I played, you know, in the game. And it's just an unfortunate thing that, you know, you come through and, and you injure the player, which is, you know, a, a, a terrible, terrible injury to the lad. I mean, I know you say it's part and parcel of the game, and interestingly, obviously, a player that you used to play with, hang around with, Andy Scott, who's now, you know, is in the coaching world, you know, he does lots of scouting, coaching and stuff like that. His view on it was that Hyam knew exactly what he was doing, even though he got the ball, yes, he followed through, and he, but he knew that with a follow-through like that, the chances are that he was going to damage a player. Like I said, there's a thought to me, what, you know, what you have to realise, well, you stick on his hand and you put out the tackle, Play with the ball, play break away and score. You, you, you know, it's the manager that's going to be on your case. So you're doing the job for the team, you're doing your job, you, 
game to win that ball. You know, and like I say, the game is moving away from the contact side of this, but at the moment, as you stand, it's still a physical contact game, a man-on-man game, and you know you get, you get to take decent wages these days, and you know you're under risk of, of uh, these injuries that you can get. You know, it's, uh, you get some freak accidents, and, you know, it's just unlucky. You know, back in the day, our team were always tackled the amount of people just come and walk away, so it's just very unfortunate. Unfortunate because Mick McCarthy is the manager. Again, it's just interesting there because, again, back in your day, if uh, someone like Mick McCarthy was your manager, would he turn around to you and say, listen, Terry, playing, you know, Fulham next Saturday, you know, they've got great forward up front, you need to make sure that you hit him early to, to, to know that you're there. Is that the kind of thing that used to go on? Oh, of course it was, you know, back in the day, you'd get the first one free anyway, you know, you'd be able to somebody, come through the back of somebody get a warning off and then you do the next dive and you potentially get a car so same thing you know it's part of the game centre forward here come through the back of them and if you were clear in the ball you know then you do the other risk of a centre forward coming across and leaving it on you judges probably got another six or seven months out of the game Brentford have to sort of kind of recoup from this I mean how does it go from there I mean I know again situation of injuries you know what will we thinking what will be going through his head now at this situation and how will he get through this period to try and get himself back on track well, the, the legislature, you, you know, you just have to focus on the rear, on, on, on your end stage stuff. You know, it's a terrible, terrible injury. And uh, it's just hard, you know, but, yeah, you know, the, the, the player will know that this, this, is, this, this is the risk that they do run. Playing, the, playing professional sport, I mean, this isn't really any uh, consolidation for the lad, you know, but imagine if he was... Uh, uh, on Saturday has got a lot of people talking. We thought that we weren't sure, was it a foul? Was it not a foul? Was it the right thing? Was it not the right thing he did? Mick McCarthy talked about it wasn't a foul. We thought it's probably best to go to officiator, somebody who actually knows the rules of the game, so that he could talk us through this Alan Judge foul scenario and give us his own personal opinion. So we're going to an ex-football referee, 
Colin Downey, who, who saw the foul, and he's going to give us a news. Colin, how are you doing? Yes, I'm okay, thanks. Yeah. And, and Colin, give us your background. I mean, I know that you, you refereed the 90, or you were the linesman at the 1983 FA Cup final at Man United versus Brighton, but you've done a lot of other things as well, haven't you? Um, yes, I, I refereed the FA Vars final at Wembley in 1985, and uh, I went on then to be referee's officer of the Football Association from um, 1988 to 1999. Excellent. So you mean, you've obviously got a very good knowledge of football, the footballing rules, and I know you saw the Alan Judge um, injury on Saturday, tackled by Hyam. What was your views on that from a referee's perspective? Well, I've seen it twice on television, and it has happened very quickly, as always. But the tackle was made from a bit of a distance from Alan, um, so you you ask yourself how much was he in control of the full tackle. Um, and uh, when I saw it, I thought, well, that was um, worse than the Jake Bidwell incident at Griffin Park earlier in the season when Jake was sent off. Uh, it was a similar sort of tackle, but Jake was a little bit nearer to the player and I think was more in control of uh, of his tackle. Um, but, um, yes, it's the sort of tackle now where it, it, it's... It was most certainly a yellow card, and uh, and I think it was probably a red card. I mean, again, as fans, you know, we get quite hot-blooded. We see it on the terraces. We're waving our fists, going, no, that was out of order, that was out of order. Yeah. Um, the Ipswich fans and Mick McCarthy were saying, actually, it wasn't a foul because we feel that he got the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I can gather, the reason why the yellow card was given is because a, there was a training foot. So after he got the ball, there was a foot that was left into the tackle. Um, this is obviously quite common in football, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, that's often where uh, people get the, the foul tackle wrong, yes. One foot can play the, the ball and the other foot can follow through and do serious damage. Uh, and, um, you know, this does happen in the game. Uh, and it is that the second second leg that does the damage because you're not totally in control of, of the challenge. And it's interesting you say that because, again, Andy Scott, who was an uh, expert for manager, expert for player, he's a, he's, a, he's a scout now and he's going around the place and he made a comment on Twitter saying that he felt that Hyam knew exactly what he was mm-hmm. doing when he made that tackle. Because, yes, he said he may, have, he may have got the ball, but he said that he knew what was going to happen with the follow-through. Yeah. Almost like indicating the fact that um, they went out to get the ball, but they knew that they might have done a bit of damage. Yes. Well, obviously, professional footballers are very different to park footballers. Park footballers can make tackles, and they don't really know what they're doing, where in professional football they are clever to make the tackle. And the fact that it happened as early in the game as three minutes, makes you wonder whether Brentford's best player um, was going to receive uh, a firm challenge, uh, which he did. Um, and I sent a Manchester United player off at Southampton after 78 minutes for the first foul in the game. 78, say, 78, seconds, 78 seconds, was it? Uh, 78 seconds, yes. Yeah, sorry, 78 seconds for the first foul of the game. Um, and uh, I would say... Um, the, the tackle, the Dipswich players' tackle looked worse than that one, and, but my one was in 1987. Okay, so but, but that's interesting as well, because obviously, because in 1987, you uh, you could get away with a lot more than you can. Do well, in 1987, people weren't sent off that. I mean, it, it was almost normal to let a hard player have uh, one up the back of the legs, and you spoke to him and said, hey, that's the only time you're going to make a tackle like that. Um, times were different. That's because all the referees at that era, including Jack Taylor, 
were were more lenient. So you, as a uh, all referees, you know, took the lead from what the senior referees on on the league were doing. But um, uh, but that that tackle, um, well, it's it's it was worse when I saw it on television close up. It was worse than I thought it was because it split the shin pad. So it was. Um, you know, a bit over the top or just boarding on an over the top tackle. And then, I mean, the question would go out there as well is that, you know, where does the, where, where, where does it line as, as, as into where is the consistency? I mean, somebody else brought the fact that, um, you know, Henry tackled Woods um, at QPR. Um, mm. There's no, not in the card given. In fact, he didn't even give, he didn't even give the free kick. No. And uh, QPR turned around and they scored off the back of that. Yeah. Um, well, well know, that situation, you know, could be because um, the referee didn't see the foul. Or didn't judge it correctly, um, uh, so therefore he, he thought, you know, it wasn't a foul, no free kick. Yeah, um, and the same thing, and the same thing. Jurisin up at Blackburn, he got foul, which put him out for three months. As far as we're concerned, it's a foul, but the referee again didn't even give the foul. Um, so it's again, it's one of those scenarios. I suppose you say yeah. the game is what it is. Yes. And you see yeah. it from both sides of the fence because you watch football as a fan, yeah. but you're also a referee. But but that that QPR situation, the referee didn't give a foul, so in his own mind. It wasn't a foul, where in the Ipswich case, he gave the free kick um, and he gave a yellow card. So it was, you know, uh, a foul that certainly wanted some punishment and he got the yellow card. But, um, well, it it, it was, you know, I say it's a yellow plus and uh, and nowadays players are being sent off for those sort of challenges where you slide in and you're not completely in control yeah. Uh, of the tackle, um, yeah. which is a bit of a danger for the opponent. Yeah, and, and the question, I think, final question we'll ask you is that, but what, you said it's a yellow plus and you're saying it's borderline. Why wasn't it a red? Red? Why wasn't it a straight red? Well, you know, it, it's a, a yellow plus, so you, you could argue, the referee would clearly argue, well, I saw it's a yellow, uh, and other people say, well, it was a red. It was, it was closer to a red than a yellow. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a judgment. In fairness, the referees that has to be made very, very quickly. Although, in that situation, because Alan was on the ground, you do have a few seconds to think about. Right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do him. But um, yeah. uh, so you've got to say, is it a red? Is it a red? Is it a red? And yeah. and perhaps he said that, and he came yeah. to the conclusion that he didn't think it was fully a red. So he, he gives a yellow. And, and the other question I ask, I mean, McCarthy may have been right in the fact that the player did get the ball, but would you also look at this situation, and we don't know the rules like you do, so you could tell us, that, okay, the tackle went in, yeah. so what's it look like a dangerous tackle? So would sort of something like dangerous play come into effect by you saying um, actually, well... Um, no, I, I mean, there's, there's two things. I mean, that tackle was made, I would say, with excessive force. That's the expression nowadays, that you've okay. gone in with a lot of force. Um, and, you know... The tackle isn't just one foot, and the tackle isn't just because you touch the ball, you play the ball. It's the the body that's involved, like the, the training leg. Um, so both legs and body has to be taken in consideration. Okay. Right, Colin, this is really good information, and thanks very much for talking to us okay, about it. I think it's given us a lot more light on the referee's point of view and a bit more clarity on the rules and the regulations, and probably the problems that referees may have as well. Um, from your point of view as well. But, yeah, this has been very good to clear it up, Colin, and I'll talk to you later. Right, my pleasure. Thanks, then. So there we have it. Interesting comments, Terry Evans. Old school, hard school, old school, you know, defender. Used to go in proper hard. 
he shrugged it off, saying it's just one of those things. I mean, Paul, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think he's got it completely wrong. And um, part of how you described him as old school is probably where the reason for that is. Uh, it's a reckless challenge and it's a straight red. And uh, all you've got to look at when you see it, even if you see it once, is that a judge has turned away from his man marker. And in the second minute of the game, Hyams is already looking at backing up the man who's marking judge. That can only have been premeditated in the team talk uh, from uh, McCarthy and picking Hyams to play in that role uh, as the kind of extra enforcer, uh, more conscious, concerned by judge and what he was doing. And he's off the ground before judge even lifts his eyes off the ball. He's not in control of the tackle. That makes it reckless. And reckless endangerment to a fellow player is a straight red card. Terry's got it wrong. And thankfully, the days of the two centre-halves in, in question here, McCarthy and Terry, saying, you know, it's one of those tackles that happens every game. Those days are long gone and for good reason. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I thought it was interesting that um, but both Terry and also McCarthy, after the game, based their comments on only seeing it once. You know, perhaps they able to see it um, again or see it in slow motion to see that you know, how bad a tackle that was. You know, as, as Paul just said, there's no place for those sort of tackles. And to be fair, I don't remember Terry Evans making that many leg-breaking tackles anyway. He was a hard, hard man. But, you know, studs up, cowardly, player not looking is a very different type of tackle than a hard tackle. And there's a real difference between being hard and being a coward. And to me, this falls under the cowardly bracket rather than the hard bracket. Interesting views from the referee there. Um, I mean, he, he's, he's talking about it from a referee. He felt that the tackle was out of control. He, 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 he in particular mentioned the fact that he launched himself from so far so early in the game. He, he obviously didn't accuse, but he said to himself, in his referee's head, he's thinking that it must have been premeditated for this to have happened so early on and for it to have been with such severe force, which is interesting. So coming back to Mick McCarthy's thoughts, where obviously he turned around and said he didn't think it was a foul, but then he wouldn't do because, I mean, he was a, he was a man in the control tower um, giving the, the directions in the first place. Yeah, I, I think like post-match, there's been a lot of reaction. It's, you know, There's a natural... Um, Defence of your own by Ipswich Town fans, which you know, which is, is to be expected. I, I know, it, it, I didn't, I didn't expect everyone to come out and lambast their own player. There's been a lot of Ipswich fans that have, but I, I was really, really disappointed by McCarthy, who I've, I've, who I've not really had a problem with in the past. Um, but you know, it's, it's what you say, and it's and it's how you conduct yourself in these situations. He could have diffused it all and defended his player. And he, and, and he could have edged his bets without, without, without really upsetting anyone or offending anyone. And he's come out basically and said that wasn't a booking. And he's, and he's lost a lot of dignity over that. What he should have said was, he should, immediately should have said, you know, first and foremost, our thoughts are with Alan Judge. He should have said, you know, no one wants to see that in a game. It is a competitive, co combative game. These things do happen. Out, my player is a decent, honest player. There's no way that he would have gone out and purposely hurt anyone. And what you've done then is you, you manners. You, you, you've given the player who's been injured a lot of support. You've given, you've given your, your own player a lot of support. And I'm not saying sit on the fence, but I'm saying what he did, he entranced himself in a position which has made him look really stupid. We had a lot of spontaneous fun last week after we recalled our previous guest, Mick Leinert, who uh, revealed to us that he, he listened to the podcast in the bath with his loofah and his robe. 
and it's dark and, it's, and the sud's going. And uh, after we stopped crying with laughter for about four minutes, we started to basically try to recall where everyone else is in the podcast. We put it out to you lot out there, and it's quite funny because we uh, got quite a few answers come back, and we'll probably go through the podcast and we can squeeze them in. But just going in there, Cleve West, you know, just keeping up that, you know, stereotypes there. Apparently, he listens to it in his tool shed. And Debbie Fuster as well, keeping up the stereotypes on the female side. She said she listened to it while making her shepherd's pie. Um, we had Jason Stubbs, who listened to it while in the office, as well Marmy Todd in the shower after his run. Um, and, and, and the Liberal Nick? I listen to it while I'm doing my ironing. OK, but this is just great. Well, you've, you've thrown the stereotypes out the window, isn't it? Because apparently men don't iron at all. But you being Liberal Nick, you're just, you know, you, you always try to you just, just push the boundaries, don't you? Anyway, we'll come back to those a little more in a minute. So unbelievably, this was a massive, massive podcast today. So much to talk about. We actually recorded stuff on the annual accounts. We actually recorded stuff on the CPO, but we talked about so much stuff. We decided to part this stuff later. You're going to hear it still soon, and we're going to put it into next week's podcast. It's all there, loud and clear, talking about accounts, talking about CPO, talking about scouting, all there, loud and clear for you. But we're going to go straight on and talk about the mighty, mighty bees. This is what we really wanted to talk about. Brentford FC is our club. And the question I say is, listen here, all I've heard, crap players, crap management, crap decision. Well, the question I'm going to ask is, has anything changed over the last three wins? All of a sudden, everyone seems to think everything's rosy, or is it? I mean, let's just go around the table here and tell us what your thoughts are on your team. Happy, sad, good, bad. Listen, it doesn't really matter. We need championship now. We're all going forward, and we're all... We're batting from the same hymn sheet, or singing from the same hymn sheet to a certain extent, because we already want to do well. But sometimes some of us don't necessarily agree with each other on the way that we're going about doing it, or we think that maybe the club should be doing it better. Mr Paul Grimes. Thanks for starting with me, but uh, I would just say over the last couple of uh, games that uh, in many ways one swallow doesn't make a summer, but three wins in a week, nine goals and a seven-goal swing is a bloody good start. And we're safe. And that's the most important thing for me. We're safe. We're in the championship next year. The next most important thing is finishing above Queen's Park Rangers and Fulham. I mean, interesting. I'm going to come back to it again. We brought you on, 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 on board as well. Because interesting, you wrote a very interesting article for Greville Waterman a few weeks ago on his blog where you were, you know, you, a Brentford fan, you, you highlighted some things which you weren't necessarily happy with the club critical of certain areas because say if we want to be better listen let's highlight these things and let's move themselves forward which I think is you know which I think is fair enough right you know I mean Dean Smith we've had lots of conversations with Dean Smith and I'll, talk, I'll probably go around the table there you think that Dean Smith is not really the right man for the bees as what you said you thought he was a short term cost effective appointment with poor tactical awareness as was demonstrated a few weeks ago to be fair, Dean Smith's turned it around. He's got three wins. I know you said about the Swallows, and just because he's got three wins, it doesn't really necessarily mean anything. But Dean Smith, in my opinion, I don't think that he's still been given time enough. But you think already you've seen enough there to think that he's not the right man for the beast. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you why, Billy, because I, I looked at Dean Smith's managerial record before he came to Brentford, and he's got a 31 32% success rate. The gamble was that if we gave him money... Would he have a better success rate? He has to almost double that success rate as a manager. But he's not been employed as a manager. He's been employed as a head coach. You can't have it 
both ways. He's the head coach who coaches the players that have been given to him by the, player, by the team that scouts them and signs them, or he's the manager that gets the opportunity to sign his own players, some of them probably his ex-players. Again, I'm going to come back to this because I have to interject here, and it's a shame we didn't do the whole scouting thing because I would have given you the breakdown. But the breakdown is, and I'll say to you as well, that Dean Smith... Whatever you may say, but this is the information that's been given to us, does have an input on the players that come in. Does this doesn't necessarily hear his final say, but he has an input. So if he turns around and says, tell you something, I've seen Paul Grimes, wicked striker, go and have a look at him. The team will go out, they'll have a look at him, they'll boot the facts, and they'll come back round. And Dean Smith is part of a team, four people that'll look at that again, they'll look at it. It goes through about three or four or five different levels, and it comes back round to a team of four people, which is um, Math Benham, it is uh, Phil Giles, it it is Rasmus Ankerson and it is Dean Smith again who make the final decision on a player. So he has a decision on who comes and plays for him and also he can turn around and say, I want a right back. You sort me out a right back. I need a right back who's going to go in. Crunching tackles, fast, right down the wing, blah, blah, blah. OK, so that's great. So we've clarified the head coach role is part of the signing the players' team, the players in the, in, in the, uh, for the team as part of the four-man panel, not the three-man panel. So... Matthew said in his interview with you guys that no head coach has turned around and said that he uh, doesn't want a player uh, that has been offered to him. But, and this is the question I wanted to ask you guys, at the time that he said that, no head coach had signed a player. Dean Smith hadn't signed a player, so he couldn't have turned a player down. Uh, uh, Lee Carsley hadn't signed a player, so he couldn't turn a player down. The only head coach that had signed a player was... Doykazen, who was sacked early into the season because him and his team were seen to be not the right answer. As part of the four-man team or the three-man team or the players that were assembled, for whatever reason he went. But it's interesting you say that because we talk about the three-man team you focus on now, but actually the three four-man team decision-making process thing actually went back to Warburton days. Warburton was part of a team of people and they used to sit around the table and they all had to make a decision on signing players. I think it highlights what a very odd season this has been. You see, it, it, the, the, this isn't the perfect storm. That, you know, that you, you, you put in a system but this this year hasn't allowed that system to uh, to work adequately. You know, I, I, it, maybe next year we will see this four-man team picking players, choosing players, buying players in a more stable way. There's been there's been too much change this year. And I think again, coming back to it, you're right. It's been agreed. You even mentioned it before. I think Ben has put his hand up and said, I've made mistakes. I mean, first thing he said to us when we turned around, we said to him, you know, oh, what's this season? But in effect, he said it's been pretty shit, made loads of mistakes. Put his hand up straight away. And it not puts you on the back foot as an interviewer, but you sort of think, well, he's admitted to making loads of mistakes. So we're going to go in and we're going to ask him loads of questions about that. But he's going to just say, look, we kind of we screwed up here, but at least what we're doing is we're trying to correct it and move forward. OK, I just want to pull it on that. As, as one of those mistakes, Billy, do you think, because I think it might be possibly so, Warburton turned down those players. Warburton was the head coach, part of the four-man team. He turned down those same seven players. Now, you two guys work together all the time. If, if Dave said to you, no, category no, category no, category no, category no, and then Dave left the besotted team, and you said, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway, what does that smack of? 
that's what happened with those seven players. Warburton said no, and after Warburton left, somebody said, you know what, I'm going to sign those seven players. And they've proven, in the main, not to be good enough. And that is what has, that is what has been the crux of our failure this season. The players that came in were not as good as the players that were let go. Well, I, I say... I, I say the confusing, the, the confusing um, side of that is, if you remove the great players and you replace them with the ones that were supposed to be brought in to give you an injection, then it, then it warps it. Back in January, those players were going to give us the injection that got us over the finishing line. Because the good players were still there. Because they were, yeah, they were still there. You know, if, if you then take out those, you know, it, it's horses for courses, it's times for times. You know, it, it wasn't the same day. You know, you, you you can make a decision. The thing the thing was, we ran out of steam. Lasse Vibe or Marco Jurisin coming into that team off the bench, off the bench this time on the 80th minute against okay. whoever. Yeah, I, I you know I still don't think we were probably would have had enough to beat Middlesbrough last year, and I, and I think we might have fallen at the, at the same. But we won't ever know. I mean. You know, we can revisit history and we keep revisiting history and I think we have just simply got to move on from this now. You know... can't use history as a, as a weapon just to beat ourselves up over Yeah, I mean, you know, we are where we are and we've got to face the realities of, 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 that, of that. I understand. I'm, all I'm going to say is, and I'm sitting down there as you me, I'll be the devil's advocate man here, but what we're doing, we have a situation where people are venting certain frustrations saying, well, actually, maybe we should be operating in a certain uh, way because of what happened in history. So sometimes you have to look at history to look where you're going forward now we may have a particular point of view other people may have a particular point of view you have to look at it yeah. and that's a very good point because actually i you know i still remain despite the fact that we've just scored nine goals in three games and that we've won three games convincingly i still remain to be convinced by dean smith and i you know we may go out against Bristol City and we may change the formation, we may try a few experiments and it'll all go wrong. And you know, I think I think one has to be honest, and I I am not backing down from from I I wanna see us ending up the season with a team that I think can keep us in the championship next year with a manager that can keep or a head coach that can keep us in the championship next year and I am not convinced that we have it but to be fair, why, why would anyone be convinced by Dean Smith? Dean Smith wouldn't expect us to be convinced by him yet you know, he's, he's only just come into the club you know, he hasn't impressed particularly but yeah, that, that, that's, he's, he's been there for a few months I think you know, at the start of the season I said I think probably on this podcast to stay up this year will be a bigger achievement than coming fifth last year. You know, I think we all knew the second season was going to be hard. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with these guys. I have reservations about Dean Smith, but I don't yet think we're in a position to say yes or no, and you're unlikely to be after a short period of time. Unlike a back to the original question, but you said what's changed over the last three games, I would say we've had some luck, which I think we've been lacking you know, quite a lot. I don't think we've been very lucky this year in, in many cases, off the pitch or on the pitch. You know, I think we had a little bit of luck in some of those games. The confidence has come back and we've proved that we're not a bad team. You know, all our stats tell you this year, the home stats, the away stats, we are a mid-table team. And guess what? We're going to finish mid-table. Just I think the uh, I think we've been really consistent in the fact that we, we the, the jury is out on, on Smith. 
Um, and but I, I think we, I think equally, the uh, the wise money, the the, the 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 good decision was not to have any more change this season, and uh, that's that's been proved right. Um, Dean Smith will be judged, and rightly so. At the beginning of August, when we kick off the the the, the, the 2016-17 season, and if and if ten games into that we are, we we haven't we haven't performed, then that might be the right time to change. But it's not no more change this season. I think Dean Smith ha- would, should have the same uh, length of time as as Jurison. Uh, sorry, not Jurison as as Dykhausen. Dykhausen with us, and that you know, and that's 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 when you you take it. You cannot con- extend it beyond August. By the end of September, we'll have had to have a clear way forward. Okay, well, what I say about this is, I mean, I, what for me again, I look at football at this world where what we do is that football like they've as we talked earlier in this Disneyland world where basically they expect somebody to just throw money and just keep football clubs alive where they don't really run as real companies what they do is that a football club like a real company should identify somebody who they feel they've got a vision for where they want to go and he's going to do what you want to do but all of a sudden what's happened is if it ain't going right after two or four weeks a lot of clubs just sack them which I think is really wrong because I think that if you've got a really good leadership what you do is that you look at somebody you put them on board and you say this is where we want to go and you stick with them and it may not happen after a month or two months or three months but if you are a good leader and you pick that person eventually you'll develop that person the person that you want to now the thing is that you know it may happen it may not happen at some times with Dean Smith yes I've been sitting down there pulling my hair out thinking I really don't know what's going on. I really don't know what's going on. But also, like I said, coming back to the interview that we did with Matt Venom when we went out there, and we asked him straight. We asked him lots of questions. Like we said, we, were, we had a 20-minute interview with that Matthew Benham penciled in because at that time he had basically a lot of money on Champions League games which is up there and he's like listen I'll give you 20 minutes lads but I've got to get back to the office because basically there's all sorts of stuff going on he stayed with us for an hour and a half to be fair and we had to trail through all sorts of stuff to put that interview together but he's come back talk about Dean Smith and you know he's gone He's gone, look, you know, we said, look, Dean Smith this and Dean Smith that, and what about that game and he's got no passion, we don't know the tactics, and he just said, look, as far as I'm concerned, I really like him, he's a really good guy, and he's come into this club and basically he's had a lot of shit to deal with. And he's come in and he hasn't complained and he's basically swept up and dealt with all sorts of shit that probably he shouldn't have dealt with. He's dealt with politics, he's dealt with players wanting to leave, he's dealt with players striking that we know about, he's played with players striking that we don't know about, he's had to deal with wages and this, and all sorts of stuff, and he said, and he's just, he's just dealt with it, and basically he's sorted the camp out, and he hasn't got any of his own players on, he's put his input into it, next season we'll see it. And, and he was, again, as calm as a clue come when he said it, and at that time, because we were a little bit like, oh, Smith, let's get on, and we just thought, tell you something, we need to also give him a chance because at the end of the day, as you say, it's about the, what he does with his players and his team and so on and so forth. Bill, I'm going to tell you this now. Listening to you say that and, and repeating Matthew's words to you, I, I believe what you're saying is that Dean Smith has done enough to deserve a chance at the start of a season. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I don't have a problem with that. If he's done enough to deserve a chance, that's fine. But somebody in the system that's in place now recommended and and signed those seven players and I think that's where the problem lies and I think if if we say that Dean Smith deserves another chance are we also saying that the, the team that identified 
recommended to the team that then signed the players gets another chance, or are we saying that the chief scout is gonna is the change to what we did last season? If we've got the new chief scout, is now going to decide who those players are, and mate, is that the mistake? Mate, mate, you make out seven players have all been write-offs. I, I, I make I make four of them worth more than they were signed for. You, you, you're telling me you're telling me that Vbay, Colin. Barbe, Jurisin are, are complete write-offs. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you slightly on KK and Gogia still at the moment. It's a lot of work, a lot of proving. Bielend, we've not even seen. So, you know, let, let's, you say seven players are completely wrong ones. I, I don't. I'm not with you on that. I didn't, I didn't say they're completely wrong ones. I said the seven players that we brought in have proven so far to not be good enough. And Colin... No, you can't... Come on, V-Bay v, v, v v is, is quite clearly a good championship forward player. There's, there's a lot of teams in, in our division at the moment now who would take V-Bay in a, in a snap. Right, and I would say that I can see, without a shadow of doubt, and I've said it from the start of the season when I was able to post on different type of forums that I, I can see why people like Vibe because he puts in a shift he works his socks off off the ball he's a tremendous work rate player and I think that for him the difference this, this last couple of games has been the type of opportunities that we've created for him has been the total difference between the side and I think that's what we should be looking at is why has he suddenly come into goal scoring form the, the balls aren't being slung nine foot over his head they've been putting in he stooped down to score a header he scored a header that actually hit him on the head that didn't go nine foot over the top of his head so they've worked on the type of chances to create for a player who works his socks off and, and I totally agree about him I totally agree about so, Colin so, but, also, but again there's a slight contradiction there because it's not about the player, it's about the service. So it's almost like if he was in another team that was serving him well, it would be a good player. So the player himself, which is the person who they scouted, is a good player. But if he's not getting the service and not doing the right thing, he's going to look like a rubbish player. Right, and that, so then that comes down to who, who chose the manager that, or the head coach that's scouting him. It's a vicious circle. It's a vicious circle. If you get the right players and the wrong coach... You can't you can't get them all right. We know we we've you, I, all of us around this table have supported Brentford for 35 plus years, right? 35 years of signing shit players, right? That, that's a fact. You you, you can pull out. We, no no, we can all pull out a handful of good ones. All a handful of good ones. I would say none of them. Over the over the over the board are as good as this squad on the main, right? You're never going to get them all right. You said seven players as if they were all wrong, and I just, I'm, I'm, picking, I'm pulling you up on that. Okay, well, I think another, an interesting thing, an interesting thing as well is also because you talked about these players. Um, another thing that's put up, which is brought up in the interview as well. Again, MB put his hand up and said, "We yeah, we made mistakes." We, we brought in a lot of players from, from you know, from in effect players that weren't used to championship football. We thought Hotter did it and we thought it was easy and they brought them in. And we've now realised by our mistakes and sort of what we're doing, we're changing our attitude. So what's happened is that some of these players have come in and they've realised they thought it might take them six months or three months to bed in. But what it seems to have done is that some of these players, the better players, it's taken them a whole season to bed in. If by the second season they might be great, you you never know. And unfortunately, the way that we have to do our business, right? Because we can't go and buy your your Bents and all these players 35 grand. So we've got to try and pluck these players and try it. But interest.
interestingly, they've now changed their attitude, and that's probably why they've got their chief scout, where what they're doing is that we're not looking necessarily at further afield, we're looking closer to home, but that's... That's a learning process. That's a learning process. And listen, at least the club could put their end up and say they're doing it rather than be Cholton, who are floundering and who are going to be in Division 1 next season. But that's the reason why I remain unconvinced by Smith, because I'm not certain whether he hasn't been lucky and found the system that, that works because of the players he's with or whether he's actually worked out that this is the system he wants to play. I think I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle of all these views, really. I, I can see both sides of that argument without being offensive. So, I mean, I, th- I think the point is that of those seven, if we're talking seven, there may be eight or nine. You know, I, I can see that some of them may come good, and there's some already that we don't think will. But, you know, I think if you think that three, four, five out of seven, eight, nine are coming good and hitting a 50%, keeping with my accounts hat on, a 50% ratio, then, yeah, that, that's probably about where we've always been. You know, I think we always remember the ones that have done well. You know, it's easy to pick on the Andre Grays and the others, but I think you know, there's a fair few that have come through that have just done jack over the years. And I'd say we're at a better position. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not justifying. You know, I'm not, I'm not papering over it all. But you know, under Andy Scott as manager, we went through a hundred plus players in and out, right, right, most of which, like almost eighty percent of which, ninety percent of which were, 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 were awful. You know, now. Now, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing in bringing seven or eight. He's in not a, the chief scout. He's, he's just a scout. We're, we're bringing seven or eight in a year, of which four aren't quite up to scratch, and probably the other the other four or five are worth way more than we bought them for. And that's the way we are. And if if you, if, you, if if that's not the way you want your football club, you're either in cloud land or you're supporting the wrong club. And we're coming back to. I mean, I let Paul mention it. I'll come back to you again. We're obviously talking about. Um, we're talking about recruitment. We're talking about the, re- the directors of football. We're talking about the people who pull the people in. You know whether or not it's right or wrong. The players, the, you know, they put their hands up and they'll say that some things we didn't get got right, some things we didn't get wrong. You know, you know some things we got right, some things we got wrong. Some players, you know, we thought that would, you know, they they bed in after three or six months and it's taken them a lot longer. Some of them. You know, we've had we've had problems, but they, they don't know that. But what's interesting is that it's more a case of like, is our system working? And I think what a lot of people are saying, what's happened is that I think the directors of football, some of them come in for, and I say the directors of football, I'm going to concentrate more on Phil Giles because I don't see Rasmus in this whole decision-making process as such. Rasmus is, is, as far as I'm concerned, out the loop. Every time I talk to people about it, Rasmus, not saying he doesn't do anything, but Rasmus is up there doing stuff with other people and agents or whatever it may be. It's the decision-making process where Phil Giles and everything is, is very, very much important. And people start to talk about football person, not football person. But what is interesting, and we'll talk about this in the, in the podcast next week, is how our scouting system is, is, is set up. And it's just it's really interesting if you know this, because um, we, do, we do have scouts, and we do have scouts that do bits and pieces. Phil's also in there. We do have an analytics, analytics department, which looks at all sorts of ridiculous facts and figures that I had no idea about, passports and, 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 and transfer fees and all this kind of stuff. So, yes, there is a process that they do go through. Has it worked for us this season? Maybe it hasn't worked for us as good as it can be, but what I do find is interesting is that, again, Venom works for a company where, at the moment, if something ain't working, it's a tech company, you change it after half of half. If you don't change it, 
then you're going to get swiped out by everyone else. So all of a sudden, is our recruitment or scouting system has changed where they just thought, I'll tell you something, let's get rid of a few characters here, let's bring a chief scout over here, let's get somebody up in the north of England, let's do this, that, the other, let's get... And all of a sudden, it seems like they've... they've addressed or looking to address some of the issues that are out there that haven't worked for our club and especially the fact that we obviously are looking for more home based players and that works for us now at the end of the day listen mate all I can keep pointing you is that Charlton are at the bottom of this league they've got a bigger stadium than us bigger crowds they've got more money than us but look at them they're floundering listen you've got to be forward thinking I was going to say that if you look at it in a, in a, in, in a cold light of day uh, the decision that's gone with the Chief Scout and, and how the directors of football work and Summerfield's uh, ro- uh, role being released to the Chief Scout, whoever that may be, it appears that Matthew's saying that maybe Dean Smith is the right appointment out of the things we've done this season and he's definitely worth a chance. And where we made the mistakes is in player recruitment and that's why we're changing player recruitment. And also, I just want to pick you up on the thing you said where Rasmus was invisible or not involved in certain things. He was very visible at the training ground at the start of the season when uh, Joy Kazan was around. And there was a lot of discussion on various different forums about players not knowing who was in charge. And I think that is another one of the mistakes that, we, that hasn't really been picked up on, is that you know the sporting director, having somebody there that's the sporting director and then a head coach... The clarification of the roles is now what we're seeing with this new chief scout. What Phil Giles does in you know analytics and stuff like that, and 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 bringing the information together from the, the people in Smart Odds and a chief scout and a, a, somebody in the north of the country is very similar to what we had before, which was the sporting director and Frank McParland before he became the sporting director. And I, and I think it's interesting because I think probably the reason why Rasmus was seen more down the training ground because like I said to you he, from what I can hear he's more overseer and he overlooks at the coaching side of things is that I think that the mariners Dykehausen scenario uh, wasn't what they expected it to be from very early in the day so I think they were probably keeping tabs on it working out how we're going to deal with this situation and that's probably the reason why he was there just work in progress you know we're, we're, it's, it's all a learning curve it's the first time we've been in the championship for any length of time in anyone's living history you're never going to get it right first time it's all about experimentation and you know as it's been explained a hundred times before we've got to think differently the way Brentford's USP is not doing it the same way as everyone else and you know that involves making mistakes the the, the, the owner sorry the manager the owner has said you know it's about taking risks and you know I'm I'm enjoying it I'm still enjoying it plenty plenty for us to talk about on the podcast yeah, taking risks, Dave. I want you to go there. Is that me now for this season? Because you know we've talked earlier in the season that you'd written off the season, and I'm, you know, I'm happy where we are. We're going to be in the championship next season. Is this now the time to give Tom Field and James Ferry? Should we be giving them game time, not bench time, but game time? Yeah, yeah, yeah possibly right. Yeah, we, we, maybe we should. But you know, I, th- I think it was about securing, guaranteeing championship survival. We've done now, and we always used to do this. You know, Martin Allen played that game when against. Luton, you know, when we when we played a load of rookies, maybe that is the time, but not maybe not quite yet. 
you know, mate, mate, I, I want to guarantee. No, I, I don't care about finishing above. We, we, I, I do want to finish above Fulham. I don't, I don't care about finishing above QPR. I want to finish above the fold. I want to be in the top half of the table. I think that sets a real precedent and, and, a, and, a, and a level that we need to maintain. We do not want to be in the bottom half of the championship. We want to be in the top half of the championship, always contending. We may not be in a contending position for for the playoffs or promotion but we need to be up there and, and that means you're a good good team good club just to throw in everyone knows it already but we talk about the team and where it's been this year we brought Bielen to be our captain and centre half we brought Hogan to be our centre forward and top scorer and we had Yota lined up who didn't want to leave there's three players there who would have absolutely transformed this team this season they've been out of the team due to reasons outside of our control you know, and outside the control of you know, any of the people that we've talked about. So it's just worth throwing in that you know, of all those signings, there's some that we just haven't had the benefit of at all. I mean, and again, you say that as well. Yes, we have been unlucky. There's also other factors. But I'm just asking you guys, I mean, just, just, just drawing a line here and, and moving forward. I mean, again, we've got Paul, you're on, and I think Big Beast fan, you've got lots of really, really good and valid opinions as well. I think it's been a really, really good addition to the podcast yeah, tonight. Yeah, I'm saying, fantastic. I just want to know is that, are you, are you happy with how things are moving forward? And I'm going to go around the table, just in general, because, listen, we're in the championship now. Of course, things can always be better. And, and, and maybe are, are there any additions, do you think, or any changes, do you think, the things that can happen at Brentford which you think can make us a better club, whether or not it's on the pitch, off the pitch, anything, just throw it into the loop. Yeah, um, I, I, think, I think a lot of, a lot of fans and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, observers have been saying that we need to shake up or clarify the uh, director of football roles. That's something they, the club might want to look at during the close season. They might want to separate the, 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 the dual roles into single Brentford roles and, and FC Milan roles. That's, that's something they may or may not want to do. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I just think that we, we, need to be, we need to continue to be striving to be different. Some, some fans may want to just want us to be generic just want us to be the same as everyone else but we're, we're, we're only ever going to be League One if we do that you know, we, we have to use we, we do have to use our, um, our visionary um, owners and, and the insight and the numbers you know, if, if you think that's witchcraft if you think that's idiocy then no, flip it back you know, I, 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 just, I just say that we've been awful for uh, all, my, all my support in life this is, this is the only time we've ever been a contender and we, we, we need to harness this and we need to learn from our mistakes and we need to move forward and don't always demand everything to work first time. I think if we're going to change anything during the, the close season, the last couple of seasons have shown us that we are very good going forward. We are right at the top of the league for the top goal scorers, the number of goal scorers, the number of players that contribute towards goals. Matthew Burns is very big into that. You don't need a 30-goal-a-season striker when you've got seven players scoring from different positions, including a holding midfielder that got 10 goals last season. And this season we've scored the highest number of goals again, or up in the top five of the of the division of number of goals scored. What our problem has been over the last two seasons, and what they try to patch it over with, with the signing of three left-sided centre halves, is our defending, which has been awful. And we've got to get that right. We've got to get our defensive side of our club and the mentality of the defensive side of the club right first, to and give us the opportunity to then 
move forward and attack at will, which is obviously something that you know we're also keen to do. I, I, I completely and utterly agree with you, but I have to say, amongst the fan base, the players that are almost untouchable are the defenders. If you if you said that Tarkowski, Dean and and Bidwell were problematic and they're the ones that needed to be sorted out, you'd almost be shocked. The SHIT that I've taken over the past year on this podcast for my criticism of the central defenders, um, you know, uh, you, Phil, you 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 would um, you, you you wouldn't believe. I I just want to see a bit of stability introduced and, and not set, not settling for second best. Uh, a recognition of where we stand as a club, with all the financial constraints that we have, with all the um, you know. With all all the um, yeah no with all the constraints that we have, let's just not settle for second best. Let's go out and be Brentford and be bold and brave, and that may still involve us in making some very brave decisions. I think it's easy when you've got so much information available to think things are different than they ever were. Yeah, I think the difference is now everything's available. We've got you know, information freely open to all online, interviews with owners, chairmen, managers, etc. Et now I, I haven't really got much to add to what the guys say other than say I've been coming for, despite my youthful appearance, something like 45 years now, and this is the second most successful season that I've ever experienced, just to put it into context. Is it perfect? No. You know, do I want to see us get better? Yes. Do I agree with defensively strengthening? Yes. Second most successful season in 45 years. Well, it's interesting you say that as well. My mate is a Charlton man. I speak to him very well. He's not an idiot. He's a very, very, very successful businessman. And when I was moaning about Charlton saying they're not communicating with their fans, they're not doing the right things, they're not doing all... And I talked to him and he was trying to... He was trying to sort of kind of, like, you know, fly their flag and everything like that. But they turned around to me and he's going, look at you guys. And I said, look up at Brentford. Terrible manager. Pitch went out the wall, you know. Pitch went out. Terrible manager. Players leaving, striking, everything like that. And he turned around to me and said... I mean, look, look at the season that you've had. You've had all sorts of nightmares that have gone on. You've been a complete and utter disaster. Strikes and managers and wrong things going on and stuff like that. He goes, and look at you, you're still competing. He goes, you must be quite well run to actually manage to keep it together. Because look at us, Charlton, we're all over the place. We're down the bottom. So for me, I just thought that was very interesting. And almost like you get two or three or four cogs in the place or you start the season correctly, which we didn't do last season, we got half a chance. Interesting. Which team is top of the development division that Brentford are in? Charlton. Oh, very good. Yeah, but they're, yeah, very good. Very good for development league. Will, will, it, will any of those players come through? I know Charlton are looking to bring those players through. You know, with Brentford, we're looking to bring those players through, but it hasn't quite happened. Is this going to help Charlton in Division One? Maybe it might do. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't. You know, being top of the development league, great, great developing players, but they're only any good if you actually put them into your first team. But another question I'm going to ask, and maybe we're going to finish off on that. It's not a little bit negative, but I'm just talking interesting because we've had a really good conversation today but we're football fans we're emotive so we talked about Alan Judge earlier and we came outside there and ah he's out of order boom this that the other we talked about you know um, the, the, the head of football we talked about the coaching system we talked about the strike is not good enough what I'm coming back to is that it's the football fan knee-jerk reaction and it's kind of like you know it 
some people say it's part of football, but also something is something that can sometimes piss you off. You make a decision on a snap decision, and because we've got social media out there, you've got you've always got opinions happening all the time. But what happens is that you don't necessarily have to justify your opinion three months or six months or nine months later because you just disappear off. So the opinions there, I say that because it's quite interesting because you know there's a, another Brentford fan scene who who. It's known and it's down on record who said when, when we hired Mark Warburton that the other fanzine turned around and said I hope we don't hire that clown Mark Warburton to be the next Brentford manager. It's down there, it's in written and he put it out there which is quite funny. Now three years later Mark Warburton is the new messiah. I was thinking about this, I think what would have happened to Mark Warburton if he had lost seven out of ten games? That clown Warburton would have been stamped as a clown. Everyone would have said he was the same person, same manager, but it's just a moment in time. And it's just like, I'm just, I'm just saying, you can laugh, but it's a decision that you make. And we sit out there and we make decisions on people and we make them a snap decision and then we kind of move on. And the thing about it is I just think that you've got to be careful and you've got to be consistent and you maybe have to have a look over time. You know? uh, God, yeah, you, you know my viewpoint on this. It's, it is consistency. It's a, and it, and it's, a, it's a word we use a lot of the time. It's, it's manners. You you know, you, you, you treat manners. manners you, you treat people the way you want to be treated back. And if and if you if you put pictures of child murderers on the cover of your fanzine, then don't don't expect that club to to want to want to speak to you. You know, you, it's it's not about. But, but it's not only child murderers, but child murderers then link yeah, it to and, and link, and, and, yeah, link and link, it, linking to, it to a director of football. You know, and, and, you know, that you, doesn't you, make sense. No, it's about it's just about manners. It's about decency, you know. You know, if you treat people well, then they treat you well back. I, I can't comment at the moment. No, it's not about that. But I'm just saying. But in general, we're talking about knee-jerk reactions. It's about knee-jerk reactions and about how fans knee-jerk react. I think the, the whole point I've tried to say all year is that everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yeah. What, what, what annoys me so much is when people violently you know, fall out over those opinions because, you know, you can change your mind. You know, you, you can think Warburton's a clown and, and a year later you can say, shit, I was wrong, I got it wrong, he's not a clown, he's a good manager. But, but, but you get those on... But, but you get those on... But what you do is you get it on facts. If you call him a clown at the beginning but you don't know anything about him, it's kind of a bit like, kind of, what's going on? It's all that, but we, we all say stupid things and, you know, we've all... I think everyone around this table said stupid things when we've had the... You know, the besotted mic thrust in our face after a game and we've all said some dumb things but it's about saying them in the right way it's about just being an opinion it's, you know, what I say is just my opinion at the end of the day I'm allowed to change it but it's about behaving respectfully well, what, what's got to stop is this, you know, this constant abuse and belittling of other people's opinions and you know, we, we say we welcome opinions so we, we have to welcome you know yeah it's wrong to, it's wrong to demonise you know, you know we, we, we need to criticise we need to be on top of the club we, there's enough. There's hundreds of people that are, are looking at every single minutiae of what's going on at the football club, and overall, you need to take stock of things on average because things aren't either black or white, bad, good, evil, great. You know, so most of the time it's in the middle for Brentford Football Club. I mean, knee-jerk reactions are are the opinions that we come up with, and I think absolutely Dutchman's got it completely right. People that are reasonable can change their opinion that's you know that's what that's what debate is all about you're supposed to sit down with two people that may have start the evening with a different opinion to each other or a different opinion of each other and come the end of the evening they might have a different opinion of each other or the same opinion as each other they may not but if you don't discuss things if you don't put things out there to discuss and you just turn around and say you know everything's fantastic and rosy because Matthew's in charge 
Well, then I think you're heading to the loony bin. I don't know who does that though, because you know we, we, we you know, I assume it's pointed in in this direction. But you know we, we, we speak we speak more about and more to fans than anyone else. I know. No, definitely not. Definitely not pointed in this direction at all, Dave. And I think those that uh, hear what I'm saying will know exactly where it's pointed at. But absolutely, 100%. You've given me an opportunity to come on. Uh, as did Greville, and I thank both Greville and you for the opportunity to say what I've had to say tonight, which is a little, maybe controversial, maybe different to what everybody else around the table thinks, but I think I haven't said it in, in kind of a way where we're, we're going to fall out as friends. I've known you and, and Billy for 25, 30 years at least around the grounds of Brentford, back in the day when I was you know, selling beef burgers so on the Royal Oak. and. Um, so we're not falling out over, you know, we're all Brentford fans and I think you mentioned it a couple of times, manners, and I'm going to mention respect. What I'm talking about is every, every type of uh, uh, social media that uh, operates uh, 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 an opinion about Brentford, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or the GPG or Besotted or the Thorn in the Side, everybody within those organisations should remember that the most important thing is we all support the same club. So we may have different opinions about different things, but we all support the same club. We are all Brentford fans. And cut us in half, we're all red and white through the middle. And I think, Paul, you summed it up there immaculately. And it also is interesting because, I mean, you come down there, we've had a few drinks today, and we're sitting around, you know, we all support our club. And I don't know if it's an interesting insight for you as well. I mean, uh, you've seen the podcast today and, and seeing, seeing, how it, seeing, seeing how it runs and also seeing that the, the opinion isn't probably necessarily as black and white as people have thought, as you've seen around the table there. There's people with different views, people that aren't, aren't happy with some things, Liberal Nick's not happy with the manager, you know, we're not happy with other things there. And basically, but, you know, no, but no, but we... Yeah. Sorry. This is Pickle Nick night, isn't it? Billy, Billy, I'm not unhappy with the manager. I remain, in the, in, the fa- in the famous words of the Scottish legal system, the manager is not proven. Anyway, I was going to say, which is all good. But listen, this conversation could go on and on and on. But let's just, you know, we like to give everybody a voice. We sit down there and we could discuss it. If you could come here and on to Besotted, discuss whatever you want to say, we're quite happy to have you on here. It's been an absolutely fantastic night here with everyone well, else well, there. Back anytime. Yeah, and we're going to... And we're going to talk about Bristol City now because that's who we're playing on Saturdays. So just talking about, I mean, listening to where the podcast is, we're flipping it back and lighting it up again. People coming back to us, you know, some pretty boring, you know, you know, I mean, not boring, but it's factual, I would say. Some people say, I was listening to the, the Piccadilly line, I think that was Sav and Ed with the Headwind. I was listening to the Southwest trains, and I think even Laney is like, oh, I was listening to it on the way to the post office, like, you know. Um, oh, well, well, better than I'm down the police station grassing. <laughs> Anyway, that's not 100% true, but we'll move on to the next thing. Joe Fenton, uh, a couple of guys as well, bees from out of town, 809 leads to Huddersfield train, and then he had a little sign saying beer, which I thought was a bit worried about, and 809, he was drinking a beer, and uh, it's not. And it was a weekday as well. Keatsy as well, came down from Ipswich, he was listening to on the 149 bus to London Bridge, and Jerry the cabbie was trying to be flash, saying, I'm listening it by the pool in Clearwater Spa in uh, Florida. Cheers, mate. But anyway, we'll come back to these, see where else we've been listening to. Now we're going to move on to another little section. We were going to talk about scouts. 
and the Skeltiston at Brentford. Big, big section this. I've been looking through it. Really, really, really interesting. But because the banter has been so large today, we've been talking lots of important things. And also, the new Chief Scout is going to be hired probably in the next week or week and a bit. We thought, again, this little section, we're going to knock it back to next week um, so that we can discuss this in full. Because this really, really needs a good old little chinwag about that. So we're going to talk about scouting next week. So apologies to everyone who's been waiting for this. But listen, when we go into it... There's going to be a lot of disappointed people out there, Bill. Yeah, but you know, listen. They, 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 I'm sure they're, they're, you know, they're very happy as they, they, they've got their loofers at the moment now. But we'll, we'll move on to the next Luther, session. Loofer Van Dross. That's correct. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people also disappointed because they were going to quote us in their job applications for the, when they were interviewed for the job. That was true, but you know, we can't help that. So, big game Saturday. We got Bristol City coming down the first time in a couple of years now. Bristol City came up from Division 1 last season, had a massive campaign last season, did very well. And uh, they sold out this game in a matter of minutes. So massive this game for them. They're actually even beaming it back to Ashton Gate. Back to the bar in Ashton Gate because this game is massive in Bristol City just to make sure that they're not tampering with that relegation zone again. Normally, we speak to a local fan, somebody from Bristol. We've got a Bristol City fan chat to them about this team. But we're getting a little twist today. We're speaking to the Bristol City Post's Bristol City correspondent. So he's the correspondent for Bristol City for the Bristol City Post. But ironically, he's a Brentford fan, Andy Stockhausen. How are you doing, Andy? I'm all good down here, enjoying the sunshine. How's it back yeah. here in the studio? Um, no, we're all good, mate. It's not good. Not bad at all. Uh, I'm glad that you're doing your little spying job. I know we posted you down there a few years ago to spy on Bristol City because we knew that they'd be doing damage and uh, all the information's coming back loud and clear. <laughs> okay, well, I can't give too much away. They'll shoot me and I'll never get another story on the back page here. So. That's right, which is all good. So, listen, I mean, Bristol City, a couple of seasons ago, we were in the same league as them. Looking a little bit shoddy, but the following season, they came in and they absolutely smashed that season apart. Had a great season, didn't they? Oh, it was tremendous. Steve Cosswell came in and almost overnight worked a massive transformation. Brilliant um, recruitment campaign uh, a couple of summers ago, basically signing up a lot of the best players in League One. And they were probably head and shoulders the best team in the third tier last season. Uh, went on to win the title of Johnson's Paint Trophy finalists and winners at Wembley as well. Uh, probably one of the greatest seasons in the club's history, certainly since the 1950s sort of and then the Division 1 days in the 70s. So, yeah, hard to, hard to top that one, really. I mean, it's hard to top that one. I mean, this season, I know that there's a few people quite high up that look at the teams. People that are analysing the teams and saying who's going to be good and bad, and even within our club. And I know that Bristol City were one of the teams that they plucked out to say, we're a bit worried about them. The reason why is they pulled together a really good team. They've had a bit of money to spend. They're firing at all cylinders. And if they're, you know, if we're not careful, they'll be like Brentford, who came up with momentum into the championship and caused some damage. But that hasn't quite happened this season. Why is that then? Well, as good as the recruitment was two years ago, it was disappointing and, and, and poor, basically. Last summer, um, they really did try and get championship players in, but probably overstretched themselves and went for targeted players who, who really weren't ever going to seriously consider joining the football club. So so then they, they started the season light. They then had to fall back um, on the loan market, which, as we all know, doesn't guarantee anything, really. So, and they, you know, that allied to a slow start to the season, shortage in numbers, lack of cover in certain key areas in the team. And it, it really was a struggle. 
Uh, right, right from right from get go, really. Yeah, and, and and you say that because right from the get go, I mean, Bristol City really surprised us as being one of the teams who are right in there for Andre Gray. I mean, they put a bid in. The bid in was accepted because the bid was, you know, and we know the bid was pretty high. You know, we're talking about sort of millions and millions, very much reaching the the, the, the mark that was wanted. Um, he didn't end up going to Bristol City, probably more for personal reasons, but it goes to show you there's a bit of money in that pot, doesn't it? Well, it's certainly ambition, but uh, I'll go back to my previous point. You know, you're wasting your time if your target players really have got their ropes on going elsewhere. I think Andre has always always had his heart set on uh, on going to somewhere like Burnley. You had a better chance of progressing to the Premier League quickly. So, you know, you've got to be realistic in your targets. Um, I think the other the other problem we had, not even in transfer. Uh, Mark, it was also the fact that so many of the younger players in the teams had never played championship football before. Uh, you know, they, 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 they've had to learn on the job, and it's been quite a difficult learning experience for them, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I think we could say that to a certain extent with the Brentford team, obviously, you know very well, because you're, you're a Brentford fan out there, even though you're a port for the Bristol Post. And uh, we brought in a number of players who they've never played championship football as well, and it's been a bit of a learning experience for us as well, especially as we've lost quite a lot of our experience. and probably sort of a higher class player, people like Andre Gray or DeBarchu, even, you know, you know, players like that. You know, even Douglas to a certain extent who did a job for us at a particular time. But the fact is that I'd say that your results have been probably up and down. They're not necessarily some of the results will be terrible, but the fact you've got out and beaten Sheffield Wednesday four one on Saturday, tremendous result, like, you know. So it's almost like you're the type of team that they come to you, you don't seem to know what you're gonna get with them. Yeah, since Lee Johnson come in, there's, there's definitely been an upturn in fortunes. Uh, John Pemmert, the assistant coach, started that process when uh, when he took over from Steve Cottrell, who lost his job in mid-January, and changed the formation, went to a flat-back four. Uh, the team started keeping clean sheets. Um, since Lee's come in, played a more sort of entertaining brand of football, if you like, um, in front of that solid back four. And they've managed to add some goals as well, um, been helped Hugely by the by the loan signings they bought in Lee Tomlin from Bournemouth has that bit of unexpected you know bit of magic in the final third Peter Rodder Wingy uh, from Stoke uh, been around the circuit hasn't he knows the game inside out 34 great experience and also a lad called Adam Matthews a right back from Sunderland who's coming toward the end of the season made a made a hell of a difference uh, really really good player one we're hoping to get on a permanent at the end of the season so I say, I say Bristol City now a very different prospect from the Bristol City of sort of uh, Christmas time of January, like you know, so I think Brentford are in for a harder game, to be fair. Well, I think we know we're in for a harder game, especially as we've depleted. Alan Judge, unfortunately, had that horrific injury at Ipswich on Saturday, which we saw, and uh, unfortunately, he's out for the season as well. But, you know, we've got other injuries, and we've got players coming in, and I think also Dean Smith is probably going to use the opportunity to just blood one or two extra players just to see how they can cope in the championship. But looking at your team again, I mean, your top scorer is Khadija. He scored 16 goals a season, which is pretty good. And if I remember rightly, he was quite lively down at Ashton Gate when we played you there. Now, if I remember rightly, Khadija was... Brentford was sniffing in and around Khadija at one stage. Do you know anything about that? That's the first I've heard of that one. Um, City kept that deal completely under wraps and nothing really sneaked out this side of the water. The deal was done over in France and while Bristol City, um, completed while Bristol City were on a pre-season tour of Portugal. So um, it was pretty pretty quiet. But yeah, it's the first I've heard that, uh, that Brentford were interested in Khadija. Yeah, again, I might be I might be wrong that these are all these rumours that came out. This came to me through 
one scout and another scout and one scout who wasn't there and told me he was looking at it. But, you know, it might be, you know, my fish is bigger than your fish type scenario. But I just thought I'd throw it in there anyway, like, you know. But looking towards Saturday, big game on Saturday. Like I said to you, we changed the team for us, but we're on the up. We've won all these games in a row. V-Bay, who is having a hard time in front of goal because he's knackered, played continuously for 18 months, now looks refreshed and has scored a load of goals in three games, scored two goals on Saturday again. Coming against you with your lead, Tom Liz and all your other players, how do you think this game's going to pan out? I think give it a Brentford a safe and that City have confidence after seven wins in 12 games under Lee Johnson. I think it's going to be an open attacking game. Uh, Bees have got nothing to lose, have they? We're safe now. Uh, and it'll be Fair Bristol City are all but safe. I think if uh, if City get the points on Saturday and MK Dons lose at Preston, then, then Bristol City are mathematically assured Championship football at Ashton Gate next season. So I don't think there's anything for either team to lose. City will go with their strongest side because it's uh, still deemed a game they need to win to stay up. Uh, and I think, I think, as you say, Dean, Dean might experiment, but uh, it'll probably encourage uh, the British Brentford side to express themselves and, and have a go. So I, I can see an entertaining score draw coming here. So, so, on the fence. So, yeah, so score prediction for you then, Andy? I've got to go 2-2. 2-2. So goals in the bag and 2-2 with the City coming out there and scoring the goals. So, I mean, that's a score for you as you're sitting in your Bristol toast seat. But if you come out of it, because obviously you're a bee from Chiswick watching that game, who do you really want to win? <laughs> Depends who's listening to this podcast, Billy. <laughs> I, of course, I, of course, I'm going to be with Brentford, aren't I? But, uh, but by the same token, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be happy if Bristol City can make themselves safe because the last thing I want career-wise is to end up back in League One next season. But, um, but yeah, I have to go with my heart, don't I? And uh, I wear it on my sleeve, and that, you know, I'm a Brentford boy. So, but uh, one of the things for sure, I will get an awful lot of stick back here in Bristol if if, uh, if City manage to, to beat Brentford. Yeah, I bet you do. So listen, Andy, thanks a lot for chatting to you. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for all the knowledge. We'll be seeing the Bristol City fans in their hordes on Saturday. I'm sure you'll be down there having a beer with the Bees fans and the City fans as well. We'll probably join you for a drink after the game as well. Excellent, Bill. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. It's going to be a great game. Nice one. Enjoy it. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. All the best. Bye-bye. So that was the views from Andy Stockhausen. Works for the Bristol Post, the top, top, top football guy at the football flows. The, the Bristol Post, but actually, Andy Stockhausen is a Brentford fan. He's a spy that we planted over there three or four years ago just to work out exactly what is going in in Bristol. And he's fed us back the information. Agent Andy, thank you. Well done, Mr. Stockhausen. He was as cute, cool as a clue clumber. It was cool as a club clumber, yes, indeed, you know. But look, listen, but Bristol City coming down in their droves, like I said to you, you know, They've, they've sold out their allocation. They're beaming it back to their, their club. This is a big, big game for them. But for us Brentford fans, we can chill out for a little bit and we can actually go around the table and just say, how do we think we're going to do it against Bristol City, Mr Lane? Um, we're going to lose. Um, I, I, we, we've, we've won three games. Um, we've played very well. Um, it'll be a really good attacking game of football. They worried us at Ashton Gate. We, we, we came out and we won the game. They should have been two or three goals up before before that stage. Um, they will beat us 2-1. Whoa, 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 Mr. Rhymes. I think it's going to be the best game at Griffin Park this season, but I think it's going to end up in a draw 
three. I think the defences are mad. I think the attacking sides of both teams are quite strong, particularly after Bristol City have strengthened with their two new signings, Tomlin and Odom Wingy. You, you and your rose-tinted glasses. Ah, yeah. Rose t- see, he comes in this room and all of a sudden he becomes a member of the rose-tinted crew, doesn't he? <laughs> The Liberal Nick. I'm very glad to see somebody else who questions our centre-backs. I think it's going to be a two-all draw. Two-all draw from the Liberal. And uh, Mr Dutchman. I just, this is worrying because we haven't agreed on anything all night, but I also think it's going to be a draw. Um, I was going to go for 3-3 and probably blame the centre-halves for all three just to help Nick out, but um, I think it'll be good. I think we'll score some goals. I think they'll score some goals. I think you know, there will be a, a reaction to the fact that you know, we are safe. Um, I think it'll be entertaining. I think it'll be a good game. And we should kind of celebrate safety. And then for me, I'm going to go for my winning run, seeing as I was the only person that actually predicted us to win against Ipswich as well. And I'm going to go for it again. Bristol City, 2-1 the game. There will be goals in it because we, we're going to struggle again and not letting in goals. But I think 2-1 for the Bees. And uh, it will be a happy day for us in the sunshine. Those are Bristol City fans. Maybe, um, uh, maybe the Gillum can play the old safety dance song. Maybe you could do, yeah. He could do. But look. How does that go, Dave? <laughs> you could dance if you want to. <laughs> you can leave your friends behind. Well, if friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friend of mine. <laughs> so they've had to leave their friends behind because they only got sort of a 1,600 allocation. So the rest of their friends are actually watching it in the bar back in Bristol. But listen, great podcast. Just want to talk about something as well because I would say I was down Scotland Yard last night. In yeah, it's funny, they don't know the rest of the words of the song, but yes, I was down at Scotland Yard last night with a few other characters. We we were mobbing up against the old Bill, like you know, you know, because uh, we weren't happy with things going on. But we were talking we were talking about the Fulham game and there will be more information coming out in the new the next few weeks, but I just think information that people need to know at least that because we are Brentford, we do things our own way, and all the pubs are opening and staying exactly the same. There'll be no restriction of movement or anything else like that, and things are all good. There's a few things that are happening. They're a little bit nervous about a few things, but in general, Brentford is going to remain the same for the Fulham game as well. And from what I can hear as well, the old Bill or even, they've tipped their out and said, look, fair enough, you always do a pitch invasion at the end of the season, and we understand that. So I think the pitch invasion is uh, not necessarily going to be blocked. So there's some good signs again for the Brentford game, and that's just because I was down at Scotland the other night. Grossing. In but anyway, listen, you're going to do that. And also, um, Reese wants to talk to us about standing in the safe standing and how much time we've got to stand at Griffin Park. Just to let you know that we've got a couple of more seasons on there. We may have, we talked about it last week, but we actually may have, next season is officially our next season. We actually may have another year, possibly another two years, but we have to start building. So that's another thing. We might talk about that next week, but just to let you know, we actually may be able to stand at Griffin Park for another couple of extra years as long as we start building at Lionel Low. But that's it. Listen, Saturday, big game, Bristol City, they're coming down. They come down and they in their droves because they like coming out of Brentford in all sorts of paraphernalia and tractors and everything like that if you want to stereotype them, which we don't do anything like that at all. Bristol City fans are going to come down that hopefully they'll be going back crying because we are going to beat them take the points because we need to finish above Fulham and QPR this season so what we'll say everybody is come on we are going to show our team and say come on you
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.